Thanks, guys. I think we're going down here, actually. We're going to go down here. And thanks to my beautiful assistant, Steve. Yeah, yeah give us a roll. That's very good. Oh, we have a flip chart this morning. Well, some of you are excited already. It doesn't take much, does it? Get you excited. Um, so we have a flip chart this morning, and uh, it's a happy Father's Day from me. Great to see you all, and it's great to be able to speak to you on Father's Day. And interestingly, the message I have today is not a kind of classic Father's Day message in one sense, but in another sense it is, because we're in this series on discipleship, and we're in this series looking at what do we do to make disciples who make disciples. And, you know, that ultimately is what fathering's about, isn't it? It's about uh, transforming the life that God's put into us and passing it on to others, to the next generation, in whatever form that looks like for you. And so we're going to look at that today, the, the theme of uh, discipleship. And that, that word disciple confuses many, but what it really means in the original languages, it's the word methetes, which literally means a learner. So if we, are, if we are learners, then we're learners of who? Well, we're learners, we're learners of, Jesus, of Jesus. That's what we are. We're learners of Jesus. We're learning to live like Jesus and to do the things that Jesus uh, told us and uh, demonstrated for us to do. And so uh, we're looking at that as a, as a church at the moment. It's a big thing that we've come back to again and again because we really feel passionate that God has called us to raise up many disciples and send them to the nations. Yeah. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And we have this great mandate as uh, believers, as followers of Jesus, that we're not meant to remain alone. We're meant to multiply. We're meant to teach others the things that he has taught us. And we have this huge privilege as a church we don't just do it here locally, but we can also do it, we serve and help many churches across the nations, and just lovely to hear stories that come back from churches that we've helped, like uh, New Zealand, we were just hearing from those guys recently, and uh, many of you will know we took a trip there last year, and the, they were just telling us how they hadn't seen anyone saved for numbers of years, uh, but recently, just a, uh, in their Alpha courses, just got numbers of people who are coming to faith in Christ, and one, it was so, so exciting, one young lady, she's, uh, she was Samoan, so she's from one of the, the kind of native tribes of, uh, of New Zealand, and she, they were asking her what happened to her in the Alpha course, and, she's, and she said, well, I felt uh, God was knocking on the door of my heart. And they said, wow, that's amazing. And did you open it? She said, yes, I did. And they said, well, then what happened? She said, I felt the presence of God. And they said to her, well, what, did that, what did that even look like for you? And she said, well, and I, and I quote, she said, to me, I felt God's presence, and it felt like I was being exfoliated, which I thought, as I've never heard it described like that before, but I totally know what she means. Anyone have an exfoliation? Yeah, that's it, you know. She felt like she was, I just love that. She felt God come to her and touch her in a way that she uh, understood. And there was a lady um, in Poland, one of the other churches that we're connected to and helping, and, and they were saying she was a, a young lady who'd given her life to Christ, but really wrestling with, does God hear my prayers? Does he even kind of know me or see me? And uh, she'd heard a message that Sunday about giving and uh, giving to, into the community, into the church. And she was kind of provoked by this, never uh, had heard anything about it before, but wanted to follow Jesus and do what he told her to do. So she decided that she would, even though she'd just lost her job. She gave a uh, thousand zlotys, which is the kind of Polish currency, into, uh, into the church. Anyway, that week she was going back into her workplace where she'd just lost her job to kind of settle up and hand 
and her stuff in, and uh, they, she met with the accounts department, and they said, well, there's been some kind of, we, hang on, looking at your records, there's been some kind of error, and actually, we owe you money, and they gave her a, a check for 10,000 zlotties as she was leaving, 10 times what she'd just given that Sunday, and, uh, and I'm not saying it's always going to work that way, by the way, by the way but, but I, I love the fact that Jesus is helping us and using us to make disciples who make disciples all over the world, and, and so that's what we're, we're looking at. It's not about the, the number of people that we gather. It's about the quality of people that we send. And that's who we are as a church and what we're about. And, and so for you, you might be thinking, oh, I'm just not sure about this whole making disciples thing. You know, you might be, I know we've got some of the right guys in. So you're maybe 13 or 14 thinking, what well, is this for me? I do want to follow Jesus, but how do I make disciples? I'm not old enough to be a, be a father. How do I make disciples? What does that look like for me? And, and sometimes it can be, though, we just feel reluctant. We're just like, oh, no, I'm not sure about this whole thing. I'm happy to live my life with, with Jesus, but I'm not quite sure. You know, what if I offend people and what does that look like and we can end up uh, reluctant and you know I, I, I've told some of you this story before but I, I did a parachute jump when I was a student for, for charity and I jumped out this uh, plane and I learned two th- things through the experience one is uh, um, guide dogs can make you feel really guilty because I did the jump for guide dogs for the blind and because uh, it was a charity I, I, I kind of was helping at the time and, uh, and I, I raised I don't know 200 quid or so and I had it in cash after a dungeon jump on my mantelpiece and except that night I think it was the first night I, I, I was going down the pub I didn't have any cash I thought I, I won't the cash point was kind of out of the way so I thought oh, I'll borrow 20 quid put an IOU in there well within a month this bag was just filled with IOUs and I tell you for six months every time I saw a guide dog I felt so guilty because I could just picture this, this bag of IOUs having no way to repay it. It took me ages, but I managed finally. Don't worry, don't worry, Guide Dogs for the Blind, if you're listening. I did repay that. So that's the thing is you never knew how guilty Guide In fact, even when I see them now, it makes me feel a little guilty. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I should give some money. So that's one thing I learned. The second thing I learned was about reluctance because in the training, as they were preparing us to kind of go up in the plane, it's like a full day's training. And um, as they were preparing us to go up, they, they, somebody asked the question, what happens if you don't want to jump when you go up? I mean, it's a natural question, isn't it? You kind of back out. Once you go up there, what happens? And the guy said, well, it's actually more dangerous to come down with a plane because there's no door on the plane. And if the plane tips, you can fall out at the last minute. And, you know, so it's actually more dangerous. And someone said, yeah, but what if you really can't do it? You get up there and you just can't do it. And they said, well, I guess you could come down with a plane. Well, anyway, when we get up there, it was my turn to go. I was next. And there was a lady in the door and she was sitting in the door. And the slipstream is just insane because you're sitting with your foot hanging out of a door of an airplane. You know, I mean, it's not, you know what I mean. So <laughs> she's sitting there and uh, the jump master's three, two, one, go. And she doesn't go. And then he's like, three, two, one, go. And she just doesn't go. And I, could, I was opposite. I was next. I could see in her eyes. I thought, she's, no, she's not going. She's like frozen in terror. There's just no way she's jumping. And he's like, three, two, one, go. And she didn't jump the third time. And then he pushed her out of the plane. He was just, she was just gone. I mean, she's, ah! <laughs> she, was, she was gone. And, uh, and to the rest of us, like, I'm jumping on my own accord. I'm not being pushed. I am not being pushed. So we all jumped. Anyway, we're walking back to the, at the end of it, we're walking back to the uh, kind of uh, the hangar after the jump. And I was walking with this guy, the jump master. And I said, what about that, you know, that lady who you kind of nudged? He didn't nudge her. He like full on, <laughs> she was gone. What about that lady you kind of nudged out? And he said, oh, no one comes down with a plane. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm glad I know that now. <laughs> so the reality is sometimes we want to follow Jesus, but there can be this reluctance. We can get kind of frozen. The, once we, it all sounds great in church, but once we kind of get out into the, the world, once we start living our lives, we can get frozen. 
with this kind of, yeah, one sense I want to obey him, but another sense, what, the sacrifice is the cost of doing this. What does it look like? And so this morning, I really, as we look at this series on making disciples, I really want to uh, help us move forward. How then? How do we do this stuff? We've got a few more weeks in the series, but I don't want us to move forward without really owning in our hearts how we do this. So on your, now, this is going to be interactive, though. That's the other thing, which is so exciting. And uh, Isabel's super excited about that. So um, there's a piece of paper under your warm posterior, um, which you can grab now. And I want you to grab it, and I want you to draw on it a big cross like this. So divide it into four sections. Some of you, this is the most excited you've been all day, isn't it? Just let's say... So four sections, and I want you to write in this first section, intentional, intentional. Because the first thing that we need if we're to fulfill what Jesus told us to do, if the first thing that we need is to be intentional, there's got to be an intentionality about how we live our lives. And intentionality. And you look at how Jesus lived his life and then the intentionality that he said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. There's a, there's a kind of unction, there's a, there's, a, there's a pushing forward with Jesus' statement. He's calling for intentionality. He wants us to be intentionality. He didn't leave it to chance. Come follow me, he said to people. I will make you fishers of men. There's an intentionality about what Jesus calls us to do. You don't accidentally become this type of person who makes disciples who make disciples. You have to have intentionality about your life. And, and Jesus is in the process, in, in, on the journey of making disciples who make other disciples. That's what he wants from us. That's who he's making us to be. And, and it can look different for, for all of you. You know, you could be like my friend Theo, who he disciples people uh, in their marriages and loves getting alongside marriage. Theo, Theo and Ingrid, you can be like that. You can be like my friend Chris who helps people with their finances and disciples people in that way. You can be like my friend Patrick who leads one of our hospitality teams and disciples people like that way. You can be like my friend Phil who sits around a, a fire and, and eats things with men that some people say ought not to be eaten. You, you can be, it can look very different to each one of you. You can be like my friend Tim who teach, disciples people through teaching them how to sing. You can, you can do it in lots of different ways. You can father, you can disciple in lots of different ways. But the key is to all of it, at the heart of all of it, is this. is intentionality. Because a wise person once said, if you say yes to one thing, you say no to something else. What are you saying no to? You won't stumble into this. You will have to be intentional. You will have to say no to some things in order to say yes to Jesus to become the sort of person who makes disciples. You might have to say no to your own fear of man or no to standing out or no to feeling a bit awkward, being afraid of feeling awkward. There's a number of things you might have to say no to. There's some things in your time you might have to say no to. But if you want to say yes to Jesus, you've got to be intentional. There's, we can do this whole series and, and give you tools and all that kind of thing. But unless you get in your heart, I want to obey Jesus and do what he told me to do. You know, Each one of us ultimately are going to stand before Jesus. We're going to stand before him and give an account for our lives. What have we done with our lives? And his grace will cover us, but he will also ask us, what have you done with your life? Have you done what I asked you to do? Now, there might be numbers of things he's asking you to do. But I tell you, uh, the foremost of all of them will be this. Make disciples of all nations because that's what he's asked us all to do what does it look like for you to be intentionality to be intentional 
And, and you know, part of that being intentional is getting equipped. We've done this, uh, Phil Wilthy has done this phenomenal book for us, Multiplying Disciples, which has got whole ranges of tools that you can look at to use to help you to make disciples. And I, I use it all the time. You know, I was chatting with a couple, Caroline and I were chatting with a couple the other day. They don't know where they were going with their lives. They weren't sure what was next. Immediately, we started talking through the down tool, D-O-W-N, which talks about you need to understand your directional prophecies over your life and the opportunities and what you want to do and your natural gifts. And it's, it's all in here. We looked at it, we studied it, we understood it and got it inside. And so in a conversation with a piece of paper, we were able to, uh, to sketch it out for them. And they fed back later how phenomenally helpful that conversation was to them. But it was something we got prepared for, we got intentional about. And this, this, this book is going around the world and other churches are wanting, can we get hold of it? But wouldn't it be a crying shame for us as a community not to get hold of it? To not be intentional enough to say, I'm going to use these tools to help me become someone who disciples others, who changes other people's lives through intentional care and investment. So the first thing is you've got to get, you've got to get intentional. And part of that, you know, Jesus when he was trying to help his disciples to become people who multiplied, he told them this, this story, and I'll read the second half of it. Matthew 13, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it, but he's got no root in himself. He endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arise, he immediately falls away. And what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, uh, uh, choke it, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And what Jesus is saying is that actually the seed that God has put in our lives is the same. It's the same seed in everybody's life. But there's some things that can hinder it from multiplying. There's some things that will hinder you from multiplying if you don't get them sorted out. So write three words. One is understanding. One is root. You've got to have understanding of the kingdom, Jesus says. You've got to have a root in yourself. And the third thing is focus. Understanding, root, and focus. Some of you, this is a bit of a spelling test as well. Uh, I'm, I'm passing so far, I think. Understanding, root, and focus. And Jesus said, you've got to have understanding of the kingdom of God. I mean, for me, in my journey of making disciples, it was revolutionary when I suddenly understood the kingdom. Because I always used to think it was all about, no, you've got to get people to pray the sinner's prayer. And if you get people to that point, then that's, the, you know, that's what discipleship is. And I've realized it's so much bigger than that. Which is why Jesus said, even a, even a cup of water given in my name will receive a reward. Because these small acts of kindness that we do with our lives, they are kingdom acts when given with this intentional heart. They are kingdom acts. You might be, yeah, you might be 12 here and thinking, what do, how do I do? A teenager thinking, how do I make disciples? Well, I don't, there's small small things that you can do, like a, a lad I know gave a card to his, his teacher with a tsunami of love coin, just thanking him for, thanking, thanking his teacher for teaching him. Small acts of kindness are part of this journey of discipling. You know, one thing we can do as people who live in Britain is just smile when you walk down the street. 
I was talking to a friend who just recently come back from America, and I said, what do you notice most about the British? He said, they don't look people in the eye, and they don't smile. Well, if we want to be countercultural, let's just smile at people. I mean, they, I know they think you're kind of slightly nutty in England, but just do it anyway. <laughs> smile at them and look them in the eye, and, and maybe through that even, we can get into conversations with people which will open doors, uh, and then we can model something different. What would it be like if this, this whole church was released into the town and just started smiling? People wouldn't know what hit Bedford or Milton Keynes or... The surrounding. What does it look like to have an understanding of the kingdom? And there's so much more I could say, but there's also the, the sense of roots. You know, if you wanna if you wanna be someone who multiplies, you've got to have roots that enable you to weather the storms of life. Because otherwise you start to see some fruit, but then it just kind of withers away. What does it look like to grow deep roots? There's a there's a um a, a, a place south of London, it's like a marshland. And a friend of mine who lives near there said it's notable. He said the trees there, when the hurricane came, uh, and it particularly swept across the south of the UK, I mean, the town near where I was brought up, Seven Oaks, is now One Oak, because six of the Seven Oaks went down. But he said this marsh, none of the trees went down. Why? Because the soil is so unstable, the only trees that have survived are those that have dug their roots deep into the soil. And that, the hurricane came through back, you know, how long ago? It was five, ten years ago. It came through, and they were just unmoved. They were just unmoved. They did not budge. Not a single tree went down because they had learned over years to dig their roots deep down. And for us as disciples, it's so key, isn't it, to understand, to dig our roots deep into the soil of, of Jesus. And one of the stories and the illustrations we use time and time again is, you know, are you born on a cruise ship or a battleship? I remember uh, telling that illustration some years ago and uh, it basically goes like this. You're born on a cruise ship or a battleship because if, you're, if, you're, if you think as a Christian you're born on a cruise ship and a bomb drops in the swimming pool, what you'll do is you'll go and knock on the captain's door and you'll think, well, have you brought me? You know, I came on, I signed up for this cruise, you've paid our money and now I've, got, you know, I've spilled my cocktail down my shirt, the swimming pool's ruined. What are you doing? You know, you'll hammer on his door. And, but if you're born on a battleship, when a bomb drops in the swimming pool, well, firstly, you're grateful you even had a swimming pool in the first place because most battleships don't have swimming pools. And the second, you pick up your gun and start shooting. And the reality is that so often we can fall into this feeling that we're born on a cruise ship when the Lord has always said to us, in this life, you will have trouble. Take heart because I've overcome the world. And, and so when we realized we were born on a battleship, and I remember one uh, lady, she came to faith on, on Alpha, and then her life just went into such a terrible, uh, so much kind of opposition. And, and Steve and I were chatting, and he, he went and chatted to her, thinking, oh, gosh, I hope she survives, because we've seen people who get, come to faith in Christ, and then trouble comes, and they just disappear. And he chatted to her, and she and said, how are you doing? And she said, actually, I'm not doing too bad. And he said, how come? He said, well, the first Sunday I came to King's Arms, Simon was preaching, and he asked us, are you born on a cruise ship or a battleship? And I realized that I was born on a battleship, and I wasn't expecting it to be easy. <laughs> what does it look like for you to have deep roots? And, and then the third thing is around focus. You know, there's a focus that is critical in this, this uh, um, uh, journey, and that's part of intentionality, to have a focus, to have a determination. I'm going to live my life. And I, I've told you guys a story before of when I was chatting to a friend and he was saying, well, he was telling me all that he does to make disciples and to influence people and to invest in the next generation. And I said, Paul, how do you fit it in? And he said, how do I fit it in? Simon, that question is the very problem. How do you fit it in? Didn't Jesus tell us first and foremost to make disciples? We should do that first. And then the question is, how do you fit everything else in? <laughs> because that's what Jesus called us to do. 
It was so provoking. I remember my daughter, Kaya, when she was um, growing up, I think she was four, and she was, uh, one time we walked in, and she was on the phone. You know, remember those, lamp, those things with, like, cords, and they were plugged into the wall, those things? Yeah, it's so quaint. We used to have those. Anyway, she was on the phone, and she was like, okay, okay, okay. I didn't realize, okay, I didn't realize. And I was like, where on earth is she talking to? I got the handset off to her, and it said, please replace the handset and try again. Please replace the handset and try. I didn't realize, okay, I didn't realize. She's having this conversation with someone. She didn't realize. But for so many of us, we can go through all our Christian lives and think, I didn't realize. Well, today, guys, is our reminder, our focal point, that this is what Jesus told us to do. I hope there will be no excuse for anyone to say, I didn't realize, Jesus, that this is what you want me to do. It's about focus. It's about learning to focus. So that's the first thing. Live intentionality. If we want to be these people, these can't be just words in a book. This has got to be about a transformation of our lives to realize we are born to multiply, to invest in others in small ways, in great ways. What does it look like for you? The second thing you can write in this corner is the word shape. And I want you to draw a triangle and write the words up, in, and out. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's not just about passing on information. Discipleship is not just about passing on information. It's about shaping people to be three-dimensional disciples, up, in, and out. All of us are called to have a shape. This is not just about information to pass on. This is about the transformation of lives in every aspect of our life. If you're not a believer here today, if you've not yet signed up to follow Jesus, you need to know this up front. I need to be kind to you and tell you, he's not just after all of of you. He's not just after part of you. He wants all of you. Every part of your life will be transformed gloriously by Christ. Every part of your life, he's after every single part of you. Up, in, and out. The up is our, is our connection with God. The, the in is the, the transformation on the inside, the, the, the growth in character, and the out is our impact in the world. And, and each one of these, we are called to make people who are transformed in every single way, which is why, every, which is why I think Jesus left us these things like communion and baptism to remind us that this is not just about words. This is about lives submitted to him. Yeah. You know, we, we, we as you, many of you know, we love to minister into the Middle East. And um, uh, I was there, we were there on a trip one time. And uh, uh, the people, as the conference was getting on, were getting a bit, bit edgy, I could tell. And we were asking, what, what's, the, what's happening with them? They were like, oh, they're a bit nervous that we'll run out of time to baptize them. I was like, well, haven't they all been baptized already? Because I knew many of them had been believers for a, for a while. And they had come out, of a, uh, they'd come out for training from a very um, uh, difficult nation to be a believer. And the guy said, oh, no, in their nation, no one will baptize them because it's instant death if you baptize. If you, if, you bap, if you are baptized, you're in trouble. If you baptize someone, you're dead. So he's like, they can't find anyone to baptize them. So their, their big aim for the conference is while they're out of the country, they want to be baptized. And so we baptize every one of them in a swimming pool, in a flat, in a corner because they were desperate, because they realized they wanted their whole lives transformed. They were, they were willing to give it all for Jesus. And it's recognizing that for each one of us. Jesus is calling us to see people transformed in their up, teaching them how to worship, teaching each other, growing in worship and our connection with God, in their in, growing on the inside. What does it look like to be transformed in our character, to, to grow in integrity, 
to grow in uh, our walk with Jesus and the way that we are secure in our identity and our out. What does it look like for us in every way? And, you know, in our family, one of the things we realized that we were kind of strong on the up and in or growing in those areas, but our out was weak. And we just changed a simple thing every Tuesday morning now for 10 minutes. We just take time to talk about those that we're impacting in the world around and pray for them and pray for the friends that we're connecting with. And it's just been amazing to see the intentionality that's come out of a 10-minute conversation on a Tuesday morning, just looking at our outs. What does it look like? We've seen some, one of my friends comes, has come to faith in Christ, and we've seen others take steps forward. One of my other friends, uh, my, my son's friends, I had a dream about him that he's so far from God at the moment. But I had a dream about him that he'd become an evangelist, and he was leading others to faith in Christ. So we're praying for that to come into reality. There's nothing happening on the surface, but we, we're believing that God's going to do something through his life. What does it look like to, to talk about the shape and to think about the shape of the people that you're impacting and influencing? And the thing is that depending on our passion, we can love to focus on different areas of this. So if we're more kind of into the teaching mindset or the pastoral mindset, we, we tend to focus on the in and we love to see people change on the inside. And, and if we're kind of more of the kind of prophetic mindset, then we love to see people's up and how they connect with God. And if we're more on the evangelistic out mindset, we, we love to see people reaching out. But the reality is that no matter what our personal passion or gifting, we're all called to make three-dimensional disciples. A friend of mine who's a real pastor, and, and uh, the Lord really challenged her one day, and he said, are you making disciples who look like you or who look like me? <laughs> it was a real sobering moment for her, because all of us are called not to make disciples who look like us, but to make disciples who look like Jesus. And he was whole in, all one of, in every one of these areas, up, in, and out. What does it look like for you yeah, to think about shape? And then the third thing, is environment. This is a real spelling test. We've got, to, we've got to be intentional, we've got to think about shape, and we've got to look at environment. Jesus said, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And what the disciples had was a model, a lifestyle that Jesus created around him that they then copied and multiplied. That's how they became the sort of people who multiplied and changed the world. And so we have to think about the kind of environment that we create around us. And, and on your little cross that I hope you've drawn there, I want you to write two words. One is challenge, and the other is invitation. Challenge and invitation. And this little cross represents different lifestyles, I guess, or approaches. This is high challenge and this is high invitation. And by invitation, I mean the welcoming people into your life, into your heart. This is low invitation. This is low challenge. And there's different kind of places that you can live as a person, different places that whole groups or even whole churches can live. If it's low invitation and low challenge, we're going to call this the boring quadrant. (laughs) You know, you never really let people into your heart, into your life, and you never really even challenge them when they do come in. People don't change in this environment. And people you've been part of groups or churches or perhaps are living like this now. I've certainly had seasons where I've been living in this way. That no one really gets in and there's no real challenge around you. It's the boring. You don't make disciples who make disciples from this place. Because no one can get close enough to really see your life. And no one really, when they do, does get any challenge, any move forward. It's the boring place. And then there's this quadrant over here. This is, this is the cozy place. 
when you're in this space, you're, you're, you welcome people in, so there's high invitation, but there's no real challenge. You don't take the courageous moment to say, well, you know what, actually what I think is this. Now, it's not that you're always telling people what to do, but you never do that. You never take that moment to challenge people. And You know what the scripture says, iron sharpens iron. Is there iron sharpening iron in your life? That doesn't mean to say you have to be abrasive or unkind, but does your life have iron sharpening iron in it? Is there moments of provocation? Is there moments where you think, gosh, I'm, I'm stretching it a little bit to say this, but I feel like the Lord wants me to say this to you. Are there those moments in your life, both with those around you who don't know Christ, but those around you that do? Because if not, you're, you're, you might be warm and friendly and have people over and wonderful. That's great. But you know what? We're not going to change the world through nice. We, we need to be nice to change the world, but we won't change the, nice, the world through nice alone. <laughs> And so many get stuck in this place really through fear of man and fear of what people think. They live in this kind of cozy quadrant. But you don't create disciples and multiply in this place. This top one is the stress quadrant. (laughs) This is where there's high challenge but low invitation. So people don't get into your lives, but when the closer they can get is to you just challenging them. You're just constantly bringing challenge and, and provocation, but there's no real warmth and kindness. You've lost the, it's, it's truth, but there's not the grace that goes with it. This is the, the stress quadrant. And, and typically, people like this initially. They like being around people who will challenge them. And so often, people will gather, but sooner or later, it becomes a little bit one too, one too many challenges, one too, much, too many tasks to be done. Some of you worked in, in places like this where the environment was great and you signed up because you thought, yeah, we're going to change the world, we're going to get stuff done. But sooner or later, you realize, golly gosh, this is just, you know, we finish one task, you're on to the next. Anyone else worked in a place like this? Finish one task, you're on to the next. Finish another task, you're on. And it just becomes, it just becomes stressful. And there's no, there's, ultimately, you don't get the change, the long-lasting change that you want. And we can create communities like this, but we can also become people like this. And then the last one, is the empowered. And this is where we make disciples who make disciples. This is the place that Jesus lived in. I mean, it was incredible. Jesus lived in this place. He, it, I, the challenge around Jesus was phenomenal. 5,000 people, <laughs> you give them something to eat. That's what he says to his disciples. Peter, walking on water, when he sinks, Jesus says, why did you doubt? I mean, come on, you can't get more challenging than that. What do you mean, why did I doubt? I'm walking on water for crying out loud. Why did you doubt? Jesus is pushing, he pushed his disciples, he challenged them. But then he also walked with them and prayed with them and ate with them and connected with them. He, he was not cozy. He certainly wasn't boring. He wasn't cozy. He wasn't stressed. He empowered people. He created an environment around himself. And it's worth taking a moment to think, what, what's the environment that you create around you? You know, as a father, as a mother, as a parent, as a friend, what environment is created around you? Because I, there's certainly, I've probably lived in all one of these in every seasons of my life. And sometimes you can know these things and then drift back to them. But are you creating an empowered environment around you where people change and become more like Christ? Where they become more three-dimensional? There's both of the warmth and the friendliness and the connection and the love. But you challenge people because they know that you love them. They know that you care for them. 
What does it look like for you to move into this space, the empowered space? You know, I love to travel with teams and whenever I take, tra- take teams. I mean, if you come, I'd love you to come on a team with me to different nations. I'd love you to come. But you need to know, it ain't going to be cosy. <laughs> it's not going to be that cosy place. I will give people, you know, testimony. Okay, bring a testimony in this meeting. And, and I want you to go and pray with this person and go to that family and, and spend some time with them. And I, I was one guy, I, with two days notice, he was preaching in front of about 100 Iraqis. I mean, you know, I mean, perhaps he called it stress, I don't know. But I think it was empowered. <laughs> he did brilliantly, he did brilliantly. But it was a stretch for him. He did fantastic, but it was a stretch. Lots of support, lots of encouragement, but he did it. What does it look like for you in your life to create an empowered environment? Now, if you guys are in your, in te- teenagers, what does it look like to create an empowered environment for you, around you, your friendship groups at school? How do you break free from just being the nice guy to be the guy who creates an empowered environment? What does that mean for you? In your last square, I want you to write this. What's next? What's next? If you're truly to become a disciple who makes disciples... What's next for you? What's the next step? Do you need to think about intentionality? You realize, now I've just been trying to fit this in. Do you need to think about the shape of the people that you're influencing, the shape of your own life? Do you need to think about the environment that you create? Do you need to ask others, what kind of environment do I create? What's next for you? What stood out this morning? So, interactively, why don't you turn to the person next to you and answer that question? What's next? What God's, what's God said to you from this morning? about becoming the person who makes disciples.
Okay, do you want to turn back this way? Hopefully that's provoked us and provoked you, and I know there's probably more you could say. I hope it's provoked you for conversation later. These things are important. I'm sure there's other things that could be said, but these things are critical for us if we want to do what Jesus told us to do. You know, there's a story of a guy called Ken uh, Galbraith, who was one of the most famous American economic advisors. He, was, uh, he served under Roosevelt and under Lyndon Johnson as a kind of senior economic advisor. And there's this story where just through the hours he was working one day, he was just absolutely exhausted. And uh, he just didn't think he could make it through the day. So he said to his um, PA, Emily, he said, I've just got to take a nap. Hold all my calls. Don't let anyone get through. And so he went to have a nap in his office. And then Emily gets a call from the president, Lyndon Johnson. Hello, this is the president. And I'd like to speak to Ken. And, uh, and he said, I'm afraid, Mr. President, that um, he's gone for a, he's, he said not to be disturbed. Uh, you can't talk to him right now. And he said, I'm the president, and I'd like to speak to Ken. And she said, Mr. President, I'm afraid you can't. He said, I need to speak to him now. She said, Mr. President, I'm afraid I don't work for you. I work for him. <laughs> so you never got to speak to him. When Ken Galbraith spoke to him later, Lyndon Johnson said to him, whoever that woman was, I want to work him for me. <laughs> <laughs> she got a job in the White House. <laughs> There's something about obedience, isn't there? That is respected. And there can be so many distractions on us in life. And Jesus called us to this focus. If you love me, he said, you'll obey what I've commanded you. We can sing the songs and all the stuff, and, there's, and he loves that, but... Ultimately, Jesus is loved when we obey him. And what he said to us was, go and make disciples of all nations. It's going to look different for every one of us, but Jesus is looking for our obedience. That's the kind of people he wants working for him, that take his words seriously and say, Lord, there's so much to do, but help me. By the power of the Spirit, Lord, help me to obey your command to make disciples. Some of you, it's going to be hundreds of people. Some of you, it's just going to be one person that you stick close to. It's going to look so different through your gifts and your shape for each one of us. Some of you, it's going to be mostly outside of the church. Some of you, it's going to be mostly inside of the church. Some of you, and hopefully all of us, will be in both places. But the reality is we need to become the people who are intentional, who think about the type of disciples that we're making, and who think about the environment that's around us, who make disciples intentionally. Will we obey Jesus? Will we follow him as he's commanded us to do?